We live on a placid island of ignorance. I'm Arthur O'Higgins, Arctic Explorer. You've probably heard of me. In the midst of black seas of infinity. Do you feel the call to adventure? To be quite frank, sir, I... My preference is to remain in my laboratory. You're about to flee to Antarctica. You don't want to end up like your buddy on the floor over there. You're going to answer some questions. And it was not meant that we should voyage far. Oh, boy! <laughs> The 1930 Miskatonic Antarctic Expedition concluded in disgrace and tragedy. Bear witness as the Starkweather Moor Expedition sheds light on the unsound minds of the past and the terror that awaits at the cold wastes in Chaosium's epic campaign. Guys, we just murdered someone. They could be working for Lexington. Quite frankly, this is all quite exciting. It's like a Christie novel. Welcome to Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Well, here we are again. At this point in editing, actually long ago, I realized that the audio of mine, the keepers, for this episode 6, session 6, of course failed. This is an issue that happened once before, and this is the last time it will ever happen, as far as I know. As a result, this is a shortened episode where I've kept a majority of the investigator audio intact from the key events, and then I've gone in and voiced over some uh, some narration to bridge all the segments of dialogue. Apologies. This was an excellent session. The players made it action-packed and exciting, and it's totally on me for that being gone, but please enjoy what you can and give the players credit where credit's due. And uh, thank you for staying with us on this journey of madness. Hopefully, no more audio problems in our future. Uh, I can, I think I have most of it down. I know the people on the ship were dealing with a uh, food spoilage issue, and they discovered that uh, whatever had happened to the food had been intentional, that somebody had sabotaged the uh, food supply. And then over on my side, I and uh, Hubert and whoever was with him were chasing down a lead about a sandy blonde German man who had been fighting with the murdered uh, captain. Then that eventually led us to the home of one uh, Lexington, um, Acacia Lexington. And then we saw a car pull up to her house. And then minutes later, two men, uh, or that was two men exited her house. And one of them was the Sandy Blonde German man. And he had a gun to his back and it looked like he was being kidnapped so we chased them to a warehouse and that's i believe what happened i don't i think i must be missing something let me so i uh, let me the, the sandy blonde guy the leads led you that like you followed him to lexington's house no so yeah, I, I kind of followed the lead. Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually follow him. I was kind of hunting him down. 
What was the lead that led you to Lexington's house? Uh, it was that at the hotel that the um, sea captain had been staying at, there had been reports that he had been fighting with this German guy. Then I bribed my way into the German guy's room where I believe there was there was something in there that, I, that I'm not remembering that led me to... Lexington abode. So you went to Lexington's abode, and then when you and then when you were casing it out, it was this sandy blonde guy was let out? Was being let out uh, at gunpoint. Yeah, by two people yeah. who look like they're allied with Lexington. Or something. No, no, they they had pulled up to the house. With the recap in order, I remind the players that the older man had been cited by Hubert arriving at the Lexington estate and presumably before the man could even knock on the door to the Lexington estate, another man appeared in the bushes, grabbed this older man and brought him to a car that had just pulled up seemingly in cahoots with the bushing, the bushman. From that point, the two men, one who matched the description of the German who was involved with Captain Douglas's disappearance, they bring this older man who had uh, been present to see Lexington, apparently, uh, him and his briefcase. They take him in a car and drive him off to a warehouse. Before we can follow up that story, we switch over to Tony and Dr. Thorne, who are newly acquainted and have been asked to investigate some of the mishaps in food storage on the main deck of the ship. Well, Dr. Thorne, oh, oh, yeah, I was going to say, well, Dr. Thorne, lead the way. Well, I, I'm not so familiar with the ship yet, perhaps. Uh, oh, please, perhaps. Do, do let do let me show you the way in this case. Um, by the way, what about that scarf? Oh, the scarf? Uh, oh, just a souvenir from the Great War. Oh really? I was stationed on the Austrian. Uh, what? Well, I was stationed at the at the Austrian uh, front. Where were you stationed? I was in the, with the medical corps in France. Bad days, huh? Bad days. Well, luckily, those days are behind us. I'm sure they are. Yeah. And destiny is laughing at me. So, just checking, uh, it was uh, Tony, right? Yes, I'm Tony. I am a very small guy. I'm Italian. I, you can actually... I mean, I try to roleplay my accent. <laughs> but he's a very short guy. Very small. And uh, he's kind of edgy whenever there is a, a, you know, a loud sound. Probably you can infer that. Yeah. You can relate to that if you were at the Great War. Well, Mr. May I call you Tony? Mr. Spinelli, right? Yes, yes, of course. Anytime. Well, I will take um, Dr. Thorne to the to the deck where it was where it's sorry, where it is supposed to be the this crate. The two of them begin their work identifying supplies, checking for perishable problems. We hop on over to the warehouse crew 
who are deciding their plan after watching the mysterious two men, German and the older man who had visited the Lexington estate, be uh, brought into a warehouse, seemingly with violence. What's our goal in this situation? Like, do we want to, like, Hubert, you were there last week. So, like, do we want to call the police? Like, why are we following these people? Do we want to call the police? Do we want to just figure stuff out? Do we want to confront them? Uh, I, my motivation for this was to figure out what is going on with this German man and if he has anything to do with the, uh, with the murder. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe we should try to sneak up and, and listen and see if they can overhear what they're saying. Yeah, can we do listen rolls? Or stealth rolls. Mm. Um, I'm going to go right there and I'm going to do a quick listen roll. Please, for the love of God, look. Extreme success. I got these guys. The players all take their listens and their stealths and they're able to quickly and quietly take an ear to the door. Evelyn in particular does this. What she hears from inside the warehouse, behind the lapping of the waves and the river behind, is the sound of a beating, as a fair assumption the two men are obviously interrogating the older man taken from the Lexington estate. Words like, him and briefcase dire who sent you interlaced with the sounds of fists the knocking over of furniture and the pained cries of an older man they decide to ready their weapons and devise a plan for entering the warehouse and intervening well I did my job I have no fighting abilities <laughs> it's just y'all's turn does anyone have good intimidate? Yes. I think that that might be a potential course of action. Daisy has intimidate. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, yeah. a little scared by that. Not by that. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy has seventy intimidate. Okay. Daisy is scary. I don't know, I, 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 but also I don't know at this point what we can do but stake out, because... But what if this guy dies in there? That's true. I think we should <laughs> that is very it. true. It, sounds like a, it sounded like a struggle, and we know one guy's trying to escape right now. How many people did we see go in? I remind the players that they saw the two men that had been in cahoots at the Lexington estate go in, as well as the older man that is presumably being beaten up. To which Arthur asks, but We looked back behind the building. There's no doors out to those docks behind there, right? There's no way for them to run out the back. At this, I let the players know that they have not yet taken the chance to look around the entire building and prompt them to do so. A quick investigation 
realizes that there are in fact doors on nearly every side of this building, although some of them have much more difficult looking locks than the others. And there is a lock in the back of the building that is fresh, new, and probably recently locked as they begin to realize there's a little bit of a dock in the back of the building, as well as a boat. And just ahead down river, heading straight away, is another boat with the driver of the uh, car that just intercepted that old man at the Lexington estate, with one of the drivers departing from the scene via boat with a notable uh, lead. They have to make the decision to either go after him and the obvious briefcase that he's carrying, looking like the briefcase that the old man from the Lexington estate was carrying, or do they proceed inside the warehouse to save the old man? And me and Hubert wave to him and be like, hello, good sir. How are you doing today? (laughs) Um, Say that again. The driver from the car is in a boat rowing away. Should we call him out? Do we think he's armed? No. I think we should just let him go. And we'll take care of the people that are here. That's fair. Yeah. Are there any people? Or I can jump in that boat and, and, and go after him. Yeah, unless anyone, if anyone happens to have any pilot boat, but I think that that's unlikely. Yeah, I definitely don't. Is this well, like dogs in front of it. I can do it. Yeah, if anyone has pilot, uh, I have pilot aircraft. I could get the plane and. <laughs> We just need a plane. (laughs) Unable to find any planes, or dog sleds for that matter, the players proceed inside a door that they find unlocked and are greeted with a dusty, decrepit warehouse clearly inoperational. There's tools of various sort, bins and a variety of state of decay throughout the outskirts. The space immediately opens up into a two-story open ceiling loading space of sorts. There's a loft-type office above and a smaller warehouse space up there as well. It is very dark, and they can tell that there's light emanating from the lofted space up above. And that's where they hear the sounds of the interrogation, the beating, the crying out for please stop, I don't know anything, and the continued pressing of, tell us what you know, where is Dyer, why did you bring the report, are you working for Lexington, who are you, where's Danforth, what do you know about Pym, etc., etc. And these questions continue as the players quietly enter the warehouse, realize that their targets are up one flight of stairs, and they have to make the decision where to go. If they can't see us. us. I was going to walk into the room. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. I'm kind of kind of carefully walking around, and I'm going to walk to where at the bottom of the stairs where I hear these, not the stairs. I'm kind of got my eye out for any any movement besides us. I'll go top the stairs. Yeah, I'd say Daisy would already be readying herself for a crusade. Two of us have weapons. So Daisy, get right behind me. <laughs> Is this pulp though? Does this count as pulp? Yeah. Um yeah, I will follow behind them because I'm less 
useful, but if I can deem yes. myself useful in this situation, I will. Yes, and I think I will follow between Evelyn and the people with guns. <laughs> well, Jason doesn't have a gun. I think she has a crowbar or something. Wow. Oh, damn. Okay. Daisy okay. is running in here with a fucking wrench. Daisy's terrifying. Good lord. Oh. Okay. Yeah. As previously mentioned, I have a pocket knife, and I think your wrench is more uh, oh, damage well. dealing than my pocket knife. <laughs> Daisy's wrench actually has stats. I need to find her original sheet. Wow. I'm going and to I was impressed it. when Evelyn pulled out her gun in the middle of the night in a hotel room, but she hasn't ever done that. So I'm so not impressed now. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I forgot it today. I don't walk around in public. My dad would kill me. Stick in the purse. People are trying <laughs> to sabotage us. That's true. <laughs> There's a threat around. I've learned. I've learned. The players, with their weapons drawn, quietly and carefully climb the stairs and continue to hear the sounds and the words exchanged in the interrogation. They're realizing the situation for the old man is becoming more and more dire as his breathing becomes more and more ragged and his answers less decipherable. He doesn't know anything about Danforth, and he won't tell them where Dyer is, and he doesn't understand who A.G. Pym is, Arthur Gordon Pym. The players, realizing the situation is dire, they quietly and successfully stealth up the stairs and into the cavernous loft-like warehouse space above and see they are directly opposite in the room from a seated gentleman matching the old man that was kidnapped. The two men standing over, one was the man in the bushes who had kidnapped the man, and the other person is a new person who must have been lying in wait at the warehouse already. The players notice that there are no guns in hand, only blunt instruments and fists being used for torture, and there is a gun lying on a small table next to the uh, broad, sandy-haired German who is doing most of the work interrogating. Again, they successfully stealthily approach and make a decision in the moment, are they going to try to intimidate these folks? Are they going to try and attack them from, from the dark? What's the plan? They act and decide to essentially rush over with Arthur in the lead and Daisy not far behind with a wrench ready to be thrown or smacked in the head. Arthur approaches, gun drawn. The German, sandy-haired and broad-shouldered, catches sight of Arthur approaching turns and quickly grabs for his own gun and in that Arthur makes the decision to fire I'm firing him right in his face I got my gun out um this is gonna make a lot of noise all right um I think this will work tested but I Ooh. Oh. nice what just happened? Oh, I hit him for 17 points of damage. <laughs> oh, yeah. obliterated him. <laughs> it just blew his face off. <laughs> that guy has no head anymore. God. I think I get a check mark for that. <laughs> yeah. The players watch, some in surprise, some in a little bit of horror, 
as a little sanity is lost from this, as Arthur lines up his shot dead in center mass on this broad-chested German as the man reaches for his gun. Arthur pulls his trigger, and as you heard, got a critical success, rolled a 1, does 17 points of damage to the German man's 12 hit points, and drops the man instantly, blasting a viewable hole through the man's chest. There's gurgles, there's gasps, and a groan as the man falls back and dies in a bit of a bloody pulp. Oh shit, guys, we just murdered someone. <laughs> this isn't good. Self defense. In self defense, just got for his gun. He went for his gun. With the murder scene now live and active, the players turn their attention to the beaten old man who quickly introduces himself as a Nicholas Rorick famed philanthropist and artist some recognize. The other man is lying in wait and attempts to attack Hubert, the closest person to him. Hubert receives a nasty four-point damage gash on his arm uh, as Daisy smacks the man in the head hard with her wrench and he is sent to the ground. Looking through his pockets quickly as he is still stunned from the impact of Daisy's wrench, the players find that he has a set of identity documents labeling him as a Michael Borland. And then similarly, somebody looks through the pulpy mass of the broad-chested German who they have definitively recognized as the man who was both in the hotel as well as messing with Douglas on the night of Douglas's death. This German, his name is Anthony Sothcott, according to his documents. With Sothcott dead on the ground, Borland quickly restrained and tied up by the party. Some interrogation and questioning begin. Rorick tells them he was present at the Lexington estate after numerous attempts to contact Starkweather and Moore that it went unresolved and unanswered. Rorick's business in New York is part due to an art show that's upcoming, and part, and more interestingly, because he has a long-standing friendship with Professor William Dyer of Miskatonic Infamy. Dyer handed off to Rorick an unredacted version of his report of what happened truly on the 1930 Miskatonic Antarctic Expedition. This report was deemed unfortunately necessary for Rorick to pass along to Starkweather Moore or Lexington or whatever expedition members necessary in order to stop them from going. Dyer believes that the truth found in the pages of his unredacted report will be enough, albeit a last resort, but enough to stop them from going. However, it's this very report that was in Rorick's briefcase that was just sailing down the river. The Germans seem to have taken it successfully. Warwick doesn't know who any of these men are, why they were asking him the questions they were asking him, how they found out about his presence in the city. He has very few answers for them, but a lot of gratitude. The players turn their attention to the tied-up, bleeding-from-the-head accomplice to the kidnapping, who refuses to give them much. 
some successful intimidations from Daisy and some successful spiteful gnashing of teeth and spitting of blood by this man, Michael Borland, supposedly. He tells them that he was sent there by an employer, that their job was to get whatever was in that briefcase, and he knows nothing more, and leaves it at that. The players recognize that he must know something if he, they, he knew what questions to ask, and you know he must know who his employer is, but, but he refuses to give it despite all their best attempts. Somebody on high has told him exactly what to say and what not to say, and that much is very obvious. It's also clear he is, in fact, a German man, and they're doubtful to whether his passports and other identifying papers are accurate. They are left to decide what to do next. Call the police, kill everyone, save everyone, what to do. For now, that could have that situation in the warehouse could have gone bad. <laughs> Reflection on that has me. Yeah. I was yeah. impressed. I I have also been reflecting on that, and I will I will definitely have some thoughts when we <laughs> when we get back to that situation. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was best for Hubert and Evelyn to get involved in that in hindsight. <laughs> I well, I'm thinking about the guy who clearly is suspicious of me and now you, the detective. He's not gonna be happy with us. Yeah, I'm also thinking that maybe us having our names in the papers associated with a murder is not going to be the best thing for the, <laughs> the investigation. Yeah. Or not a murder. It was in self-defense. We have a boat to get on. We, we don't have to worry about it. You're about that. you're about to flee to Antarctica. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I am about to, to flee the continent. I didn't say he'll pull the trigger. Did you? I had my eyes closed. I don't know. <laughs> If you had your eyes closed, that's impressive. Uh, he yep. shot himself in the chest. That's true. If we all just leave and then put in a tip that something happened. Starting to realize their best course of action may be to just leave the scene, especially since there are several high-profile members of the New York society present. The players decide they want to try and give some first aid to the older man, Rorick in order to help his recovery and allow them to all head out quickly and efficiently. Yeah, first aid will help. Should I... I can do it again. I have a 30, so I don't know how good... <laughs> I don't think I'll get a oh, one. Yeah, hold, yeah, hold on a second. I might be able to help better than that. Because I'm, I'm a man of the wilderness. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me see how my first aid is. You know, we hurt ourselves in barbaric traps and stuff. Um, oh, only 30. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> 30. <laughs> it's 30. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, oh, the, ba the base for first aid is weirdly high. That's insane. And none of us put points in. That's ridiculous. We got to coordinate better next time. Well, I'm a man of the mountain, so I'll first aid him. Yeah. Oh boy! <laughs> right. And I can't use luck points. He killed him. Yeah, I can't lose Arthur luck points. Arthur fucking killed him. <laughs> it seems the investigators' luck ran out. As earlier, Evelyn rolled a critical success—a one on giving first aid to Hubert's injury, almost completely healing it immediately. Two health 
points back. That'll heal very nicely. However, Arthur attempts to provide some first aid to Rorik after his interrogation injuries are made clear to the party. He rolls a fumble, a 98, on a skill he has less than 50. And it is revealed that although he tries to poke the stomach and see if maybe the man has any ribs that are broken, uh, in doing so, Arthur notably and audibly cracks another rib on Rorik as the man groans and essentially begs to be brought to the hospital as soon as they can. Deciding that Hubert will drive, Hubert, Evelyn, they decide to pack Rorik in the car and head on off to the nearest hospital. They get Rorik to agree to not mention them by name and say that unknown individuals came and saved him. And he is bound by a sense of gratitude to fulfill this lie. Arthur and Daisy stay back to search the warehouse as well as the German's car and find nothing of note. Truly nothing. From there, they head outside, find a nearby payphone, and tip off the police that they witnessed something terrible happen and that the man who is tied up in the warehouse is injured but alive and the police should come collect him. The investigators all find their way back to the Amherst for the night, where they uh, reconvene and a reunion happens to happen between Evelyn and Dr. Thorne. Hello. Ah. Hey. Evelyn. Edwin. Fancy seeing you here. Uh, fancy seeing you here. I actually requested to have you on this uh, journey with me. Ah, did you know? I was wondering who uh, who uh, <laughs> who dragged you in. Who who, who slipped slipped my name into the mix? Well, yeah. Um. um Glad you did. We've it seems been... like a quite interesting endeavor. It, it is different than our last one, hopefully, but similar, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's great to see. Yeah. What have you been up to today? Oh, just looking into some food crates and food stuffs. Nothing, nothing very exciting, and I'm, mm. I'm glad to say. But so far, uh, it seems like at least the latest provisions we've had have been have been in good condition. Good. Well, that's good to know. Um, I wish my day was less exciting. And then I'll say I'll tell you later when we're not in a public setting. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. Uh, I int- uh, and I introduce myself to all the other. People I haven't met yet. Dr. Thorne makes some introductions, and he and Tony share how they spent the day looking over supplies. They made a uh, discovery that a handful of cans seem to have been intentionally punctured, an act of possible sabotage or possibly sheer incompetence. From there, they identify some spoiled foods that seem to have been mislabeled on the main deck that had been awaiting being brought into the deeper holds. The two of them, while there, witnessed a press conference where the new Captain Vredenberg was announced to be the replacement for the late Captain Douglas. 
And they let them know that Dr. Thorne placed a series of wax seals on a handful of the food crates, as many as he could place on, actually, which are meant to be able to be returned to and checked back up on to see if uh, they've been tampered with. From there, the players have the opportunity to drink, relax, chat, and get to know each other as they relax for the night. Have you had an exciting day? Oh, yes. We have to uh, stare at each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure uh, Miss Walker can tell you all about it. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Mountains of Madness. Credit where credit's due. Much love and thanks to Chaosium for the fulfilling system and amazing story. Thanks to my hilarious and talented players who drive this story every week. Thanks to Epidemic Sound and Sirenscape for providing much of the beautiful soundscapes I work with. And much love and thanks to you, listener. Do you feel the call to adventure? Join us every Friday for this podcast or at mom.beyond on Instagram. This journey will tear your heart out. You've been warned.